According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me once again in Philippians chapter 3. We're coming down to the end of the chapter, and I think we'll wrap this up and be in chapter 4 before we know it. But uh, we're dealing with our heavenly citizenship at this point, that uh, there are right examples to imitate and wrong examples to imitate. And both examples are imitatable. Is that a word? Imitable. Imitatable. You you can copy them. And you want to copy the good example, not the bad example, because it's all too common with respect to these other folks that you can walk according to their example. As it says, many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Remember, we used to be enemies. And while we were enemies, he died for us. And while we were enemies, he provided our eternal life. So why would we, now that we've been redeemed, now that we're friends, now that we're family, why would we put ourselves back on that adversarial footing, on that adversarial basis? Remember, friendship with the world is hostility towards God. And so we put ourselves back in that position. Uh, We don't lose our salvation, but we put ourselves in that experiential place whereby his hand of discipline comes upon us. And we want no part of that. And so this is what we've been looking at here. Before we get started this morning, let's take a moment for silent prayer and call upon our Father to bless our time. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the truth of your word and the blessing we have to assemble together. And Father, to occupy with Christ, I thank you for the word of God that shapes us and that transforms us. I rejoice, Father, in the renewing of our mind and the transformation that happens so that we're not conformed to this age. Father, we call upon your faithfulness this morning once again to open the eyes of our understanding, to bless us through the study of your truth. And I thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so as we are looking at it here, we talk about the antidote to earthly mindedness is our heavenly citizenship. And so let me just back up slightly because I think we concluded well under point three that the primary enemies that we're dealing with are in fact unregenerate. And that's my conclusion, although commentaries go back and forth. Uh, They are declared enemies of the cross, and so then we ask, are they regenerate? Are they born again? Uh, When they die, do they have eternal life? Are they going to be in heaven? Or are they unbelievers? Are they going to die and go to hell? On what basis can can we claim this? And I think when I lock in on the expression, their telos, their end, is destruction. That destruction as an end, as a goal, is not our end. That we are delivered from the wrath to come. We are delivered from destruction. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish. That's the verb that goes with this noun of of destruction here. And so that's not our realm. And uh, they are, in fact, unregenerate. Their end is destruction. And when you do your studies on Apollea, I think it's evident. When you look at Apollumi as a verb, I think that's evident that these are declared enemies of the cross. However, they can still be imitated and their mindset can be imitated. Their mindset can, can rub off. That there is no believer on this planet that does not have the capacity in carnality and reversionism and negative volition. A believer can commit any sin that an unbeliever can commit. All right, do you believe that? All right, because uh, I, I know folks that would dispute that, but the the aspect is we're sinners saved by grace, but we're still sinners, and uh, we're still we still have the volitional capacity of darkness. And you look at David, 
A man after God's own heart, and he's still capable of murder, he's capable of adultery. So what sin is it you think we're exempt from? And then show me the verse that, you can, that backs up your view that says a believer can't fall into darkness. That's why we're commanded to walk in the light. I mean, otherwise that command makes no sense. If, uh, if it's not possible for us to walk in darkness. And so uh, we understand their mindset can be imitated by those whose end is not destruction. We've entered through the narrow gate. We're on the path of eternal life. And we can't lose that. We are eternally secure uh, in our position in Christ. But we can imitate those that entered through the broad gate, uh, that way that leads to destruction. And many there are that go unto. And so this mindset has three aspects, which we looked at on Wednesday. Uh, turning personal appetites into idolatry, you know, the ultimate worship of self and, and pleasing self and every appetite you possibly have from food to sex to alcohol to drugs or whatever it is that you've developed an appetite for. It might even be just entertainment. It might be the appetites that you have for uh, aspects of culture and art and music. Uh, there's musical appetites. Can you turn an idol, a musical appetite into an idol? Of course. You can turn any appetite into an idol. That's the nature of it. Turning shameful things into celebrations, you know, marching in a pride parade when God says it's an abomination, for example, is one of several things you could illustrate there. But there are sin patterns that are so shameful, the Word of God says they ought not be spoken. Certain subject matter that should not be discussed. Or if you have to discuss it, you discuss it in very careful venues whereby you can uh, be, uh, you can protect your soul from the, the darkness that would otherwise defile it as you discuss those matters, uh, maybe in, in warning of, of children or warning uh, other believers. But if they should not be discussed, clearly they should not be practiced and celebrated as practiced. And that's what happens in this kind of idolatry. You just flaunt your sin. You carouse in the daytime. You revel in the daytime while other people are hiding and at least have the decency to sneak around in the dark and, and do the sin, and, you know, uh, kind of hidden undercover. Um, they don't even do that. They just float, uh, throw it out there in everyone's face, turning shameful things into celebrations. And then ultimately uh, fixing their eyes on the things below. If they have spiritual eyes, they turn them off. That would be for believers imitating the unbelievers. The unbelievers don't even have spiritual eyes at all. They just have eyes fixed on the earthly things. And uh, we have the expression there. They set their minds on earthly things. So the antidote to this is a heavenly mindedness. The antidote to earthly mindedness is our heavenly citizenship. The reminder that our citizenship is in heaven. And being citizens of heaven, not just... um, anticipating an arrival someday, (laughs) right? Heaven is more than just a place you've never been to before, but you want to go there after you die. Heaven is a place you belong now. Heaven is a citizenship you hold now. Eternal life is is your your, uh, uh, paternity uh, uh, grant from the moment you placed your faith in Christ. You, You have this new nature already. And so to be a heavenly citizen, whatever you're a citizen of, you know, you can think of all the different things around the world uh, historically and presently. There are perks, there are privileges. It's good to be an American, let me tell you. All right. And every time I travel overseas and whatever and I go places, having an American passport is a blessing. And you're standing in line at customs and there's a long line, you know, that just got off the plane and you see all these people and, uh, and, and they're going to, some of them are going to different lines because they are holders of different passports. All right. And so they, they, get different treatment, different scrutiny, different screening, different processes, longer lines. 
Uh, whereas Americans um, tend to have the shorter lines and the faster process and the welcome to our country, please spend your money attitude that uh, really streamlines a whole lot of things. And what, a, what an honor to hold uh, an American passport. And, 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 and along those lines too, uh, watching a, a commentary over the weekend related to, in fact it was Scott Adams, the, the author of Dilbert, who was commenting on President Trump and the, and the release of that pastor from Turkey and talking about how all the sanctions that he threw on there and all the, you know, the, the president didn't just say, oh, well, it's just an American. It's only one American. And, and, and he said, no, that's an American and we're going to get him back and made that a priority. And, and that to me was, uh, was amazing. And uh, you can find it on YouTube if you want to listen to Scott Adams on that. But uh, heavenly citizenship. It means something. And not only are there perks, there's blessings and there's privileges and there's rights, but there's also responsibilities. There's duties. There's expectations based upon that. In other words, that's our ambassadorial function. We want to represent heaven to this fallen world and we want to be a witness and a testimony. That was the, the briefing they gave us in the military when you had an overseas duty assignment that said, you represent your country so don't be uh, a jerk. Don't, be, don't set the terrible example. Be a, be a good example. Be a good ambassador uh, related to those things. So, our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's really the two-edged sword on this. Uh, We have a heavenly citizenship, and we have an imminent homecoming. At any any moment, our Savior can descend. At any moment, that trumpet will sound, the Lord will shout, and uh, and He's going to drop down from heaven to the the clouds, and we're going to meet Him in the air. And uh, that could happen now, before the end of this message. It could happen any time. And so that imminent homecoming via the rapture of the church, uh, we're waiting for him in verse 20, and then uh, we, re- we read about the transformation of the body here in verse 21, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. And there's some detail there that I want to spend some time in because it's unique to the Philippians record. It's not found in the Thessalonians or the, or the Corinthian record as it relates to the rapture doctrine as we understand it. So uh, this is the antidote to earthly mindedness. I think uh, reviewing these things, keeping them at the forefront of our thinking is vital. That if we ever lose focus on that is when we start to sink like Peter walking on the water. If we take our eyes off the Lord, we start to sink. So we don't want to do that. Keep our eyes fixed on, on, on Jesus and where He is now at the right hand of God the Father. All right. Now with respect to this, we find out that our citizenship is in heaven. Our polituma is in heaven. Polituma. And that probably reminds you of another word in English that starts with polit. Um, but that's what uh, polis is a city and polites and politikos and some of the other terms is where we get all of our political uh, English vocabulary. But our polituma, citizenship, is in heaven. P-O-L-I-T-E-U-M-A, number 4175. And it's only used here. This is the only place for polituma. There are other expressions like poly, uh, polutikos, and you'll see some of the cognate forms. In fact, let me switch over. I'll put this back up in a moment. I was going to switch over and show you some of those cognate forms, and I failed to set that up this morning. So that's quick enough, hopefully. Every time I think it's quick enough, then something will crash, and it'll prove me a liar. But here we go. All right, so here's our citizenship. 
or polytuma. And, and just if you want to know what some of the other terms are, you can do the same thing yourself. Bring up the word study on the, on the lemma of polytuma. And under the root, this is where you will start to see the other expressions. And we can make that larger as well. So polis is a city, 163 uses there. Politase is a citizen, four uses there. Uh, Politarches, that's when you combine the politase with arco to rule. And so um, the city officials, the, the, uh, the, arche- the, uh, the rulers of a city are called politarches, two uses there. Politeia, citizenship. And that's a feminine noun as opposed to the neuter noun that we have here. I think they're largely interchangeable and synonymous. Uh, there are some folks that would dispute that. I, I, I just find them interchangeable. Uh, Polituamai is a verb that means to live as a citizen. You know, and if you think about it, there's different words for living. You know, a lot of folks live their lives or daily lives, and they have a, a work life, and they make a living. And they don't have a, a political bone in their body. They never even think about it. They don't care. They never vote. They don't pay attention. Uh, just it's not a not a subject that even holds their interest. And so they don't live politically. They don't politicize their existence. And that's what uh, polituamai is there as a verb. It's only used twice. Um, there's co uh, coma polis. Uh, the rural coma would be related to like a village or a farm. Uh, Polituma is our verb here. Sum politase is a fellow citizen. You put the sum prefix on the front of it. And then Neapolis is a new city. Uh, it's a term there. Anyway, that's, that's your etymology based on root. And these are the Greek terms that are found related to Polituma. So our citizenship is in heaven. Along with our heart treasury, Matthew 6, 20 and 21, along with our spiritual blessings in Ephesians 1, 3, along with our seat of authority in uh, Ephesians 2, 6, along with our mindful attention in Philippians and Colossians 3, 1 and 2, plus our marketplace, our marketplace in uh, Revelation 3, 18. That's an awful lot that's in heaven. And when you're earthly minded instead of heavenly minded, look at everything you're missing out on. Look at everything that fails to cross your mind because you got your eyes off of Jesus Christ and you got fixated on something here below when your attention is on the things below. So this is again, subpoint A. Our, our citizenship is in heaven along with our heart treasury, our spiritual blessings, our seat of authority, our mindful attention, and our marketplace. So let's spend some time on this as we focus on these things. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verses 20 and 21. Now, interestingly enough, this is um, not a church age passage. And so it has a concept that's applicable to Israel stewardship, applicable to Gentile stewardship, applicable to conceivably to angels and their stewardship. It, it centers on the fact that we have priorities that go to the core of our being. Our heart priorities uh, are under scrutiny in, in God's uh, program. And so that applies no matter your dispensation. And uh, yet, how much more does it apply to our dispensation, given the fact that we are a heavenly citizenship, that we are a spiritual uh, body in Christ with the heavenly blessings that we have? So in Matthew chapter 6, I just think it gets amplified all the more uh, with a 
a prohibition in verse 19. And really this is the follow-up to prayer and giving and fasting and all the phoniness of external religion, right? Uh, so really, I mean, I'm going to, I guess I'll start with verse 19, but I could go back to, to verse 1 because it talks about beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. If your whole Christian walk is just a show, if all of it is just an external performance so that other people can look at you and go, ooh, well then, that's, uh, that's common, but it's not biblical. And it's, it's tragic because it's not what He's called us to do. And it's, it's, it's impoverishing because really it's, it's a forsaking of every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. It's a throwing away of rewards. You should be about your Father's business. You should be glorifying your Savior. You should be laying up treasure in heaven, which is what we're getting to in verse 20, storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven. But if you're sidetracked with all this other stuff, you're not storing up treasures in heaven. You're just working in the here and now, working in, your, in the sight of man and trying to impress people, uh, just living for that next ooh that you're going to get from somebody that's impressed with you. All right? And Scripture says if you're successful in that, that's the reward you're getting. You have your reward in full. And so when it says beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them, otherwise you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. You can forsake all heavenly reward if you are sold out to earthly pursuits. How tragic is that? So when you give to the poor to not sound a trumpet before you, you know, showing off, uh, waving your arms, saying, hey, everybody, look at me. I'm back here by the grace box. You know, watch what I'm doing here. Look at these big bills I'm stuffing into this thing. No, there's no reward to that. All right? Your heavenly Father knows you're a hypocrite, and so do we, actually. We can look at that and see some phoniness. When you give to the poor, don't do that. Rather, because uh, see, they want to they be observed, the hypocrites in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Honored by men. And when your fellow citizens look at you and go, ooh, well, you got what you wanted. But that is all you're getting. That's your total reward right there. It says, truly I say to you, they have the reward in full. That means that's all they're getting. That sense of wow that, that they just got from some fellow human. That's their reward. It's like it's a term of a receipt as if you know they issued you your receipt. There you go. You've got what you're getting. Go away. That, that's it. Same thing with, uh, so that's giving. That's prayer. When you give, uh, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Just be, be, be private about it. That's, that's between you and the Lord. That's a grace procedure. And uh, it's not for showing off. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. You're going to lay that up in heaven because your Father saw that in secret. When you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues on the street corners. That's the neat thing about our, our corporate prayer meetings, of course, is it's not a, it's not a show and tell. It's not a, a nobody's showing off, all right? And uh, that, that's a hypocritical prayer life. Uh, so they can be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have the reward in full. Again, it's that, ooh, yeah, listen, ooh, what a great prayer, yeah, prayer warrior. What a great eloquent prayer. God doesn't answer prayer based on how loquacious we are, or how, what our oratory is like in our prayer life. But when you pray, pray in secret. Your Father who sees in secret will repay. And then, um, then we have uh, fasting. Do not, uh, verse 16, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do. They neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by man. 
they intentionally get as disheveled as they possibly can so that folks go, ooh, what's wrong with you? Oh, nothing, nothing, I'm just fasting, I'm serving Jesus, you know, and ooh, you must be holy. And, and that's all the reward they're going to get is impressing a human being with uh, how holy they are. No, when you fast, nobody should even know. Anoint your head, wash your face, act like uh, everything is all normal. Your Father who sees in secret will, re- will reward you. So all of those things, your Father, three times, your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And that introduces laying up treasure in heaven. So if you want to know how to do it, we just went through it. Serve in grace, serve as unto the Lord, serve not to make a show or be impressive to, to people, and uh, you're laying up treasure in heaven. So do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. And, uh, and that's, the, that's the contrast. You know, whatever you accumulate here on earth in goods and services and, and wealth and whatever is, is subject to being lost, taken, stolen. And uh, not so in heaven, okay? Not so in heaven. No moths, no rust. No thieves. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And then it says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Because that's what's being evaluated. That's what's being judged. Are you heavenly minded or earthly minded? Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Obviously, where your heart is, is what you devote yourself to. It's where you center on. It's where you pour forth your energies and your endeavors and you sacrifice other things. And if you do that in the earthly realm, you can be very earthly successful. You can, uh, you can sacrifice your marriage and your family and everything and you can pour everything into work and you can, you can uh, do well uh, financially and, and earthly, in earthly terms. You can do very well. Uh, because you've sacrificed everything else uh, on the altar of career success and uh, Satan will reward that. There's a huge reward for that in earthly terms. Um, So don't do that because where your treasure is. So if you're heavenly focused, if the Word of God is a priority and honoring Jesus Christ is a priority, um, do other things get sacrificed for that? Of course. Any devotion has to prioritize and sacrifice other things for but do you make the Word of God a priority? Do you sacrifice other things for the Word of God? There will be a, a price to pay, but there will be a benefit in, uh, in that. And so we see this here. And this is what happens. So our heart treasury is there. There your heart will be also. And so uh, you can't have it both ways either. This, uh, this whole section will wrap up with no one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You're either earthly-minded or heavenly-minded. You can't be both. It doesn't work that way. It's like trying to walk in light and walk in darkness at the same time. No, it doesn't work that way. So we have a heavenly citizenship. We have a heavenly heart treasury, or we're supposed to. We have heavenly spiritual blessings in Ephesians 1.3. Many of them. A lot of them. No, all of them. All of them. That's an important word. Ephesians 1.3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a hymn of praise to God the Father. That God the Father be blessed. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Did you see that word there? Every. Do you know what it means? Every. That's right. Yeah, the Greek word means every. Every. You know? Don't you like those terms? Do you want all of your sins laid on Christ? Do you want to be forgiven of every sin? 
Every means every. Okay? Blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. What blessing do I not have then? Trick question. There's no blessing that I do not have because I have every blessing in Christ as it comes to that. All right? The corporate nature of the body of Christ. And here we have it. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. So these blessings, we didn't earn them. We didn't deserve them. It's all grace. How could we deserve them if we weren't around yet? In fact, the earth wasn't even around yet. From the foundation of the earth. That we would be holy and blameless before Him in love. That's a heavenly blessing. To stand before Him holy and blameless. He predestined us to adoption as sons. There's another spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will. Could we earn that? Could we deserve that? Of course not. It's the kind intention of His will. To the praise of the glory of His grace which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved One. That's Jesus Christ. So there's nothing we deserve ourselves. There's nothing we can claim to ourselves. There's no prayer we can offer in ourselves. We don't say, you know, start a prayer with dear Heavenly Father and end with, in Bob's name, amen. It's in Jesus' name, amen. That's the only name that we have to stand before God the Father. In our own righteousness, forget about it. Our righteousness is filthy rags. Our, what have we earned and deserved but the lake of fire for all eternity? And so we stand before the Father in the name of Jesus Christ, positionally righteous in Christ. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. You know how rich we are? And so we have these heavenly blessings in Christ and we store up our treasures in heaven. Our our focus is to be on the things above. All of this should be heavenly. But when we lose that, when we click off our spiritual eyes and go back to earthly vision again like an unbeliever, when we just get wrapped up in the things of this world and start looking around, Man, quicker than anything, we start looking around and we start getting uh, jealous. We start having coveting issues. We start comparing and contrasting and thinking, well, why does he rate that? And how come I don't rate that? And why, you know, and I think I deserve this. And we start comparing earthly stuff on, on some kind of a scale that, uh, that I'm not content with how little I have and how much somebody else has and why that doesn't seem right. And, uh, and all the rest of this ridiculous stuff. Or, or we get outraged over an injustice on this earth. Something we say, well, there ought to be a law. That shouldn't be allowed. And, and we get all wrapped up. And here's the thing. I think I was talking to a pastor from Cameroon this morning about this. The polytuma vocabulary is so useful. Because if we forget about our earthly polytuma, then we can very quickly get absorbed in, earthly, in, uh, in the, the earthly politics of things, right? If we forget our spiritual, heavenly politics... And, and man, can we be wrapped around the axle and all kinds of absorbed and all kinds of things. So be on guard against that. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Our seat of authority. Stay, stay in Ephesians, but we glance down now to, the, uh, uh, to chapter 2, which talks about how we got saved and the fact that we used to be dead back when we were unbelievers, in which you formerly walked. Pay attention to that. Some people uh, that object to um, Philippians when it says uh, these folks are walking, they say, well, if they're walking, they must be saved. No, dead people walk. Here they're walking, okay? So just because they're walking in Philippians, you can still observe their walk and not imitate it. They're unbelievers. 
but don't observe their walk. And unbelievers do walk. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. And among them we too all formerly lived. I thought they were dead, but they were living. Okay, this is the living dead, right? Or the walking dead, or both. Living in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So that's the tragic estate of the unbeliever, born in Adam. And that's where they all are. We used to be there, so we got to make sure we're not walking that way anymore. That's the thing. Um, But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. We could end the chapter there and it'd be powerful, but it doesn't end there. Not only did He make us alive, He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now you know that's true because you just read it. But how much thought do you put into it? And do you ever employ that? Do you ever use that? Does it ever have impact in anything on a daily basis? You say, well, how would I use that? What is a seat of authority anyway? What do I do on this seat? What does anybody do on a seat? (laughs) Okay. So I'm seated. Well, what does that mean? Seated with him. Okay. What does that mean? Because he's seated at the right hand of the father. And that means something. That means he's head of the church. He's the apostle and high priest of our confession. He is seated in his session. Seated at the right hand of the Father. means all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto him. What does this mean for us? Because we're seated with him. We are in session. What does that mean? All right. You know, when, when, the, when uh, the, 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 you're, you're just kind of sitting there in the courtroom and, and uh, the, the bailiff says, all rise. And so everybody stops talking, everybody stands up. Why? Because the judge is walking in. And the judge walks in. And it's a big deal. You, we, we honor the judge. This is his court. And then he takes his seat. That's significant. And then the judge gives us permission to sit down. You may be seated. Now, what's happening? Court is in session. We are in session. And the judge is on his bench, on his bema. Now think about that. Jesus is in session. We are in session in Christ. We are seated. And so is there a purpose for that? Is there a solemnity to that? Is there a sense that, that in the fear of the Lord I ought to be operating uh, in, this, in, this, uh, in this venue? Or do I just blow it off and act like it's no big deal? And keep on living my earthly walk and keep on focused on the things below and making my belly my appetite or my God. And you see what I'm saying? The session is vital. And and so long as the session continues, we're in session. That's from Pentecost to rapture. We're in session in Christ, seated. So our seat of authority, our seat of authority, whereby we in Christ are operating as church age believer priests. We in Christ are operating in this seat of authority. All right. And uh, I think uh, we're going to do more. Obviously, we're going to do more work on that when we get to Ephesians. I'm going to talk a little bit about it this morning, but just kind of tease what Ephesians is going to give us. Because all of this is preparation for what's coming in the millennial kingdom and the fullness of time. All of this is looking forward to second advent. We're being equipped now. 
We're being equipped now so that we can judge the world with Christ when we get there. So our seat of authority is in heaven. That may, um, if nothing else, it, it will just um, put in perspective the, the 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 insanity that we see on the news or in the neighborhood or wherever else we encounter it when. Uh, uh, Folks are trying to to put that earthly perspective out there as if it makes a difference. You know, um, no, they're not our judge. They don't tell me how to live my life. They don't, uh, they're not keeping score as far as whether I'm a success or a failure or not. All right, court is in session and we're on the bench with Jesus. So uh, none of the rest of that stuff bothers me at all. Or it shouldn't if I have this as a, as a frame of reference. Our mindful attention, Colossians 3. That we are seated, He is seated, but it is, uh, it is only for the moment, it is only for the time being. When uh, the Father said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And then He's going to say, go forth and rule in the midst of your enemies. Same thing with us. We are seated in the heavenly places in Christ until, until what? until we're revealed with Him in glory. So Colossians 3, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. See, does it sound familiar? We had a baptism recently. This was the verse we quoted when we brought each person up from out of the water. You have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Why? for you have died, your life is hidden with Christ in God. So our life, our Christian life, is, is in heaven. That's our citizenship. That's our uh, heart treasury. That's our spiritual blessing. That's our seat of authority. That's our mindful attention. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, remember, it's only sit on my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet, and then he will go forth and rule in the midst of his enemies. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, you also will be revealed with him in glory. When he descends on a white horse, what are we going to be doing? Descending on white horses. Yeah, the gates of heaven are going to be open, and Jesus leads the way, and we're following him. We're following him. That's because when it, Scripture says, thus we shall always be with the Lord, I believe that means thus we shall always be with the Lord. Where He goes, we go. When He is revealed, we will be revealed. So the revelation, think about it, the revelation of, you know, put your name in there, revelation of Pastor Bob. When Christ is revealed, we also will be revealed with Him in glory. And this is what we have to look forward to. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immortality, uh, to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which amounts to idolatry. You've, you just made your belly an idol. You made your belly a god. If you don't have your attention fixed on the things above. And so really Colossians uh, picks up on those uh, Philippians themes and principles uh, quite well. We'll deal with that because uh, Colossians is next when we wrap up Philippians. Alright, so uh, our heart treasury, our spiritual blessings, our seat of authority, our mindful attention, and our marketplace. This one gets overlooked a lot. Our marketplace. Some, uh, some folks just have the attitude that when we engage in spiritual commerce, it's deposit only. We only make deposits. We only lay up treasures in heaven. The only thing we ever do is store, 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 store. We never buy. We never spend. 
That's not true. We buy, we spend, we engage in the marketplace. And uh, yes, we're laying up treasures in heaven, but we're also taking cash withdrawals and we're expending. How fun is that? Ooh, I just got some people excited. There's a segment of our congregation that likes shopping. I didn't say what segment that was. In truth, we all like shopping. It's just different things we like shopping for. So I can't pick on the women. I'm telling you the men do just as much shopping. It's just in different realms for different things. My wife can't believe I need more books. Why? You bought more books? What do you need more books for? But here's our marketplace. And as needed, when you are so earthly minded, you are completely oblivious to the spiritual realities. These people think they're rich. They've become wealthy. They have need of nothing. This is what the pastor of Laodicea has to say. You say, and this is uh, Revelation 3.17 to the pastor, the angel of the church of Laodicea. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. How can you be naked and not know you're naked? How lost are you? So wrapped up in earthly things that you don't even... When's the last time you thought about heaven? When's the last time you gave spiritual things a thought? And he's the pastor of the church. He's, he's pastoring the church and he's so busy doing whatever and they had tons of people and money and all kinds of things. <laughs> Who knows, maybe they converted a, a basketball stadium in Laodicea over to some kind of a church venue, whatever they did. All right. All the money and all the earthly success. And wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So I advise you to buy from me. And it's curious how it's not a command, but it is a advice, recommendation. Yeah, take his advice, okay? I advise you to buy from me. So it's not just laying up treasure in heaven. It's not just deposits. We're going to make a purchase here. Buy from me gold refined by fire. Wow, okay, I want to buy that. That sounds good. How much does that cost? Notice um, it doesn't say you're paying for it. It just says you're buying it. If you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) My kids bought a lot of stuff I paid for. But guess what? We can buy all kinds of stuff that Jesus paid for. Because isn't that fundamentally what happened when we got saved anyway? He paid the price. We got saved. Why does that operation stop with salvation? It continues with everything we buy in the heavenly marketplace. We can buy wine, we can buy milk, we can buy, uh, depending on the passage you're looking at, here we can buy gold refined by fire. That sounds great. So that you may become rich. You know, I mean, how rich can you get buying gold? Now in earthly terms, you can buy gold, but you're spending earthly money to buy gold. And so when you buy $1,000 worth of gold, you spent $1,000 to get $1,000 worth of gold. Are you rich that day? You got to wait, hopefully, for gold to go up, and then you can sell it, and then you became rich. Well, if you're buying and somebody else is paying, that's a better way of becoming rich. And uh, white garments so that you may clothe yourself. If you're naked, that's a problem. But God says, I've got the solution. God's been, God's been dressing humans ever since Adam and Eve. He can dress us. He's got white garments ready to go. 
We just have to go buy them. That the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I sat. And you ever have those dreams where you're naked in school and and you're the you never dreamed that? Oh man. And as embarrassing as that dream is, it's, it's even frightening when you realize that you seem to be the only person that's noticed that you're naked. Why why don't my classmates notice this? This seems to be a problem. Why? Anyway. The shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. Then I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Blindness is a problem. God's got the solution. Notice, there is no problem that we can experience in the spiritual realm that God does not have the, the provision for. In terms of our wealth or our nakedness or our uh, blindness, God's got provision for every circumstance. Do you think that there's a provision that God's going to fail to meet? That somehow we've got to supplement the Bible with something external to the Bible? Or do we have all things pertaining to life and godliness? Has He made all, is He able to, to provide our need? Of course. And so we make these purchases. And uh, it's a good opportunity to do so. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. And so uh, when you're under a rebuke, that's a good reminder that says, you know what, I've, I've got to purchase some things here at the heavenly marketplace. I've, uh, I've got some deficiencies that God's rebuking me for, and my provision's going to come from Him. I've got to confess, I've got to be restored to fellowship, and then I've got to go to Him and ask. That's how you make the purchase, you ask. And the price is paid. How powerful is that? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. This is our fellowship. He's not going to fellowship with you out of fellowship. He's not going to fellowship with you as being rich and miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So make these purchases. Get yourself ready. When he knocks on the door, open the door and fellowship with Jesus Christ and the Word of God. That's this whole metaphor here in the message to Laodicea. So this is our heavenly citizenship, our heavenly heart treasury, our heavenly spiritual blessings, our heavenly seat of authority, our heavenly mindful attention, and our heavenly marketplace. From which we eagerly await a Savior. Apicdecami. Decami is to wait. Apicdecami intensifies. In fact, there's a double compound prefix here. There's the apo and the ek. Ap ekdekamai, eagerly awaiting a Savior. With eagerness, on the edge of our seat, we can't wait. It's certainly not a take it or leave it kind of thing. It's certainly not an indifferent, eh, he'll get here when he gets here, right? And how many Christians just blow it off like it's a thing, but they don't pay much attention, so whatever. No, eagerly waiting, with an eagerness, with a disappointment that it wasn't this morning, with a disappointment that You know, the sun rose and Jesus didn't come for us. So, okay, it's another day then. We'll serve him today. We'll grow today. Maybe he'll come before the sun goes down because he didn't come before the sun rose up. And so it's an eagerly awaiting of our Savior and our revelation in him. He comes and we all get revealed. What a blessing this is. So Philippians 3.20, Philippians 3.21, we're eagerly waiting because he's coming from heaven for us. We're eagerly waiting him he will be revealed, we will be revealed. We will be transformed and revealed. So, point B, 
we apodecami eagerly wait a Savior and our revelation in Him and our bodily redemption, employing our spiritual gifts and walking by faith through the Holy Spirit. See, we're not just sitting here doing nothing while we're waiting. We are employing our spiritual gifts and we are walking by faith through the Holy Spirit. We are absolutely being about our Father's business. We are absolutely, we don't, want, we don't want to be found as a wicked, lazy slave when the Master returns. We want to be about His business when He returns. Employing our spiritual gifts and walking by faith through the Holy Spirit. And that's what this is about. All right. Eagerly waiting a Savior. You say, well, why do I need a Savior? Don't I already have a Savior? Aren't I already saved? <laughs> yes. Phase one, phase two, phase three. Okay. Phase one salvation is when you receive eternal life and you're transferred from darkness to light. But then, we've talked about this many times, the ongoing experiential salvation every day, all day, every day, when, when His power delivers you from sin temptations. And then phase three, that's what this passage is talking about, when we're rescued from the presence of sin, when we're raptured out of this world, when we're taken away, when we cast off this body of darkness. Who will set us free from the body of this death? And so phase three, if you... Uh, handle salvation in three phases. That's what we're dealing with here. Eagerly waiting a Savior. This is what we're going to deal with in Hebrews 9. Hebrews 9.28 addresses this. A Savior. So Christ also... Let's see, how much of this do I want to read? Um, Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await Him. That's a whole different kind of salvation, isn't it? When He came first time, was it to save? Was to die on the cross and pay the price of our sins? To remove the sin in the world? That was first advent. When He comes back the second time, is it going to be with reference to sin? No, this passage says no. Sin was dealt with once and for all. The death of Christ on the cross is not like the Roman mass, which is done over and over and over again, and here we go again, here we go again. That was the Old Testament approach with the Day of Atonement. That was the Old Testament approach with slaughtering a goat and going on in there. Jesus was once and for all, once and for all purchasing our eternal redemption. So that when He does come back at Second Advent, it's not to do a second sacrifice. He's done with that sacrifice. He's coming back in Second Advent in victory. He's coming back in second advent to conquer and to reign. And so there is a salvation there. For us, of course, the rapture of the church takes us to glory. And that's our, the salvation, the redemption of our bodies in the, uh, the application of that for the church age. We eagerly await a Savior and our revelation in Him at our bodily redemption. Romans 8, verses 19, 23, and 25 that goes so well with Philippians 3.21 transforming the body of this humble state. Romans 8. No condemnation, no separation is Romans 8. Verse 18 says, The sufferings, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So there's a glory on the way, and if we keep focusing on that, on the plan of God and what's coming up, then we don't sweat this other stuff that happens. It's not even worthy to be compared. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Notice that? You want to be an environmentalist? (laughs) All right. I don't recommend being a dirt-worshipping tree hugger. I'm recommending 
a true servant of, uh, of God in our Adamic stewardship because this world was cursed when Adam fell, but there's a remedy for that, okay? Just like for being wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, having a planet cursed, there's a remedy for that. The God who cursed it has a remedy for that. And creation's looking forward to it. If the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. We're waiting eagerly for the re- revealing of Jesus Christ and ourselves to be revealed. Creation's waiting for us to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. You know, the world didn't pick the fall. Adam picked the fall. But because of him who subjected it in hope. God judged Adam, God judged Adam's posterity, and God judged Adam's property. Planet Earth came under the curse when Adam fell. So creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Thousand generations of those who love Jesus Christ are going to populate the new earth. What a blessing is that going to be? Even prior to that, millennium is going to have the environment restored to pre-flood conditions. We'll have peace with the animals. We'll have um, marvelous things that happen even before the new earth on uh, the millennial earth. Verse 22 says, For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. So a hurricane hits, a volcano explodes, a tsunami does whatever. We got bad things happen in this world uh, the, from the you know earthquakes and, and floods and all kinds of stuff. And so when those things happen, what are we reminded of? God's faithful. Yeah, there's a new world on the way. This is just uh, the curse. Not only this, verse 23, Romans 8, 23, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the spirits, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. Okay? Groaning. So creation's groaning, we're groaning. The earth has its earthquakes and hurricanes and floods. We have our, yeah, we have our groaning. We ought to just fellowship over this in the, in the break between services. Let's uh, go to the fellowship hall at, you know, at the end of the hour. We'll just groan for 30 minutes and come back at 11 o'clock for... But think about it, that groaning in these fallen bodies... The outer man perishes, the inner man is renewed day by day. We groan having the first fruits of the Spirit because we have the deposit. We have just a taste. We've tasted of the, power, the good powers of the age to come. And we, just, we can't help but wonder, having that, that first appetizer taste, what the rest of the feast is going to be like. Because, man, that first taste is a good taste. I want more. And so we groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly, for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. See, we got saved, our soul was saved, our spirit was made alive, and nothing whatsoever happened to our physical bodies. Nothing. That's the final application of redemption to our being is when our bodies are saved. And we get to cast off this body of sin. And so are we groaning for this? Are we waiting eagerly for this? Do we want this to happen now? Well, if you're heavenly-minded, it's easier. You've got the antidote to earthly-mindedness. If you're earthly-minded, most earthly-minded Christians um, don't have this attitude. Yeah, they want to go to heaven when they die, but no hurry, no rush. We're having fun now. 
Okay, that's kind of a back pocket kind of insurance policy. It's good to have down the road when I need it. And probably when I'm older and I've got more aches and pains and more, okay, yeah, I get that. But I'm not that far down yet. I'm, I'm, I'm still having some fun. And most Christians are on that mindset. Paul says, many, and I tell you now, even weeping. The, the majority of Christendom, I believe, is in that worldly perspective, not in the heavenly perspective. I hope I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. So, we groan, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? And this is the wisdom of God to not give us a resurrection body the split second we're saved. It's the wisdom of God to keep us in this body of humility, this body of affliction, this body of of uh, this finite body of limitations. That gives us something to hope for, something to look forward to, something, uh, you know, a tent that we can dwell in that we can say, yeah, tear this thing down. I've got, a, I've got a building in the heavens just waiting for me. And so God in His wisdom gives us in our Christian walk the experience that uh, is able to honor Him in our bodies while we still endure the afflictions and the sufferings and the, the uh, testing that's common to man. We go through it. We're not exempt from that. And so um, I think it's a beautiful plan. And, and uh, if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we will wait eagerly for it. So we keep hoping, we keep hoping, and today could be the day. That's the blessing of the imminent rapture. It could be today. So does that affect your current test? Does that affect the thing you're dealing with at this moment? It could be all over today when that trumpet sounds. All right. So we're eagerly waiting a Savior, we're eagerly waiting our revelation, we're eagerly waiting our transformation, our bodily redemption, uh, looking forward to a body that doesn't have the, the uh, kidney disease or doesn't have the migraines or doesn't have the um, allergies, doesn't have, need glasses, doesn't have you know, any of the other quirks and weaknesses and whatnot that we're sick and tired of here on this earth. Of course, uh, Philippians 3.21, we'll deal with that more in the next point transforming, but I do like the fact that it talks about our humility and um, the aspect there. All right. Employing our spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 1, 7. See, waiting for glory is more than just tapping your spiritual feet and killing time. All right. Some people think, well, I can wait while I do nothing. No, that's not eagerly waiting him. Okay. You're just flowing through the time stream that's not eagerly waiting, okay? And when we talk about employing our spiritual gifts, the, um, as he talks about here in the introduction to 1 Corinthians, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in Him, in all speech and all knowledge. He's talking to them as a flock. Even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift. They had all 20 of the, of the spiritual gifts in the early church. Founded by an apostle, uh, with, a, with a prophet, with all of the tongues and the miracles and the healings and all of the charismatic gifts, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, plus the permanent gifts. They had pastor teachers and evangelists and givers and helpers and administrators, uh, exhorters. They had every spiritual gift, the 11 permanent and 9 temporary gifts. 
you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord uh, Jesus Christ. And so this aspect of eagerly waiting for Him is a goad to our stewardship, our service. It's our goad to keep uh, laying up treasure in heaven, to keep serving one another. Remember, when you employ your gift, it's not for you. You're using your gift for everybody but you, the whole body of Christ beyond you, the local flock that God has placed you in. And so using your gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, edifying others. You know, if if edifying others in the gold, silver, precious stones criteria of what the judgment seat is all about, pouring ourselves into other people, what would you rather be doing when the trumpet sounds? Would you rather be teaching Bible class or giving the gospel or teaching Sunday school or just some function of edification towards another believer? Or do you want to be goofing off in carnality somewhere? Okay, well, what is that, right? All right. Anyway, do I want to be in the pulpit preaching doctrine or do I want to be playing Scrabble in a tournament somewhere or whatever? I mean, all right. So exercising our spiritual gifts and walking by faith through the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5.5. 5. Walking by faith through the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5.5. 5. It was for freedom that Christ set us free, therefore keep standing firm. Do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. And sadly he had to rebuke the Galatian recipients when he says you uh, have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. You're saved by grace, you're walking by legalism, that's not a place you want to be when the trumpet sounds. You want to be walking by grace, you want to be walking by the Spirit. For we through the Spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness. Keep short accounts, confess your sins, be restored to fellowship. When you through the Spirit are walking by faith then you are truly waiting eagerly for the hope of righteousness. And that's, uh, again, saying that all these passages, aren't they basically saying the same thing in different ways from different standpoints? Don't be carnal. Be filled with the Spirit. Walk in the light. Keep short accounts. Because that trumpet could sound right now. could sound at any moment. There's the clock. It's time to pray. <laughs> thank you, Father, for your grace and your faithfulness. We thank you and praise you. I pray that uh, the impact from these verses will be clear, that we can understand them now and keep chewing on them throughout the week and make them a focal point for our application, Father, that we might not be wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, but we can be fully heavenly focused in, uh, in every endeavor. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.